Hey friends, great to be together again as we continue our conversations about infinite hope. Now today's message really will be a conversation. I'm joined today by a friend and fellow pastor leader, uh, Jua Robinson. Uh, known to many of us, Jua planted and pastored a church in Jamaica Plain for quite a few years, and now he's leading a Christian nonprofit uh, called Boston Collaborative. So he's no stranger to us. I'll give him a chance just to say hi and introduce himself in uh, just a moment. But I'm really excited about what we're doing here today for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think we're going to get some fresh insights into a very timely and important topic, which I'll introduce in just a moment. But I'm also excited about the format. For a long time, I wanted to try a kind of a conversational sermon like we're doing here today. Jew and I are actually going to go back and forth a little bit as we interact with the scripture and share some thoughts with each other and with you. Uh, I'll also mention that Jew and I will be continuing this conversation uh, in a podcast released a little bit later this week, uh, joined by uh, pastors Tim Galley and Jeanette Yep as well, so you can hear more from us there. So thanks, Jua, for accepting this invitation. Just catch us up on what's happening in your life and work these days. Well, Brian, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me to come back. I guess I didn't say anything too crazy the first time <laughs> I preached here at Grace Chapel. But so much has changed since the last time I was here. Uh, now my wife and I, we have a, a high schooler, uh, two middle schoolers, and now one still in elementary. And now my wife is pursuing her doctorate degree, and she's four semesters in of six. And so life is pretty crazy around the Robinson household. Um, in terms of the Boston Collaborative, uh, the pandemic really took the work that we're doing in the city and expanded it exponentially. And so by God's grace, um, we serve as somewhat of a, a connective tissue as a way of connecting Christians to each other and to needs of the city. And so we've been, uh, I've been so honored to really serve in the capacity that I'm serving in uh, because we've also worked with some folks here uh, who attend Grace Chapel, and they've been such a, a benefit and a blessing to, to the work that we're doing. Well, that's great. Great, yeah. great to be working together and mm -hmm. great to be together uh, today, Jua. Uh, this series, Jua, we drew, the title of this series, we mm -hmm. drew from the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And those words felt especially relevant to us as we were planning this series in light of all the disappointments that uh, we've experienced this past year. So, so far we've talked about hope uh, in the face of sickness, hope in the face of national distress, and hope in the face of anxiety. But clearly this past year has also brought to the surface issues of injustice in our society. Now, injustice can uh, be defined simply as the violation of right, or the rights of another. So when someone is denied their rights as a human being or as a citizen, um, that's unjust. Now, now sometimes a person might be denied their rights because of something they've done, they've committed a crime or misused a, a, a right, something like that. But when they're denied a right simply because of who they are, because of their uh, race or gender orientation, uh, social economic status, that is unjust. Now, injustice can also be defined as a, a lack of fairness. So when one person or group of people is treated better or worse simply because of who they are, that's not fair. That's not just. We know that many in our nation have been disappointed by the unjust treatment of people of color. The tragic deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and others, too many others like that, have 
have captured the nation's attention. It's the issue of, of racial justice, brought it out into the open, especially as it relates to black Americans. But obviously, uh, uh, Americans of other ethnic minority groups have also felt um, harassed, uh, discriminated against, experienced suspicion simply because of their ethnicity. We also know that many middle and working class people, white Americans included, have felt overlooked and disempowered by some of the systems and structures of, of our nation. We, we know that, that women continue to have to struggle for equal pay and opportunity in the workplace, continue to have to fight for protection against exploitation and harassment. We know that people with different abilities, uh, the elderly, those advocating for the unborn, uh, these folks and their constituencies all feel at times threatened and marginalized by society. So we've defined disappointment as the gap between expectation and reality. When you expect to be treated a certain way because you're a human being or a citizen and you're treated as something less than that, that feels unjust. And that gap feels like it's widening for many people in our country, in spite of what we think are advances that we've made in some of these areas. So what do we do with all this disappointment? That's what this series is about. Uh, do we have reasons to be hopeful, even in the face of all the injustices we're encountering in the world these days? So that's the subject of our conversation today. And if it sounds like a challenging one, it is, and, uh, but an important one. And that's why we felt it was important to have at least two voices in this conversation representing some different perspectives. Also why we're going to ground our conversation in the scripture and in the gospel of Luke in particular. So uh, because we're friends and, and brothers in Christ, you and I are going to do our best to be honest with each other, mm -hmm. uh, to speak from our hearts, and, uh, and not be afraid to say hard things and stretch each other uh, a little bit. So, so let's get going. Um, let's go to the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. Uh, Jew and I will each read a portion, and then, uh, Jew, why don't you get our conversation started, okay? Be glad to. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. You know, Brian, this is such an, an important conversation that we're having. And again, I appreciate the invitation uh, because when we think about the book of Luke, it, there, there's so much meaning and richness within this gospel specifically. Because Luke was, of, of all the, the four gospel writers, he was the only one who was a Gentile. And so many scholars believe that he wrote to a wider audience. He was writing to a wider audience on purpose to really help them to understand that Jesus was also accessible to them. Mm -hmm. 
And so when we think about uh, this text, you know, we can often read it with the lens of, of also understanding Matthew chapter five and understanding the Beatitudes you know, then as well. And so when many people read it, uh, they read it from the context of saying that they're thinking that it's the same, it's the same uh, text. But you know, many scholars also believe that these were two different sermons that Jesus was, was again preaching this to a different audience. And so Matthew 5 is considered to be the Sermon on the Mount, and this is considered to be the Sermon on the Plain, right? And so you see here that Jesus doesn't just communicate kind of these blessings as he did in Matthew 5, but here he gives four blessings and four woes, right? And so, you know, throughout this book, what Luke does is he masterfully uh, shares how Jesus provides hope to those who are persecuted, who are mistreated, or who have been marginalized. And really, within the pain of their current condition, he wants them to understand that they can have the overwhelming joy of Christ. And not just here in Luke 6, but we also know uh, that Lazarus and, and the rich man in, in Luke 16, and also uh, the parable of the, of the rich young man in, in 18 as well. And so there's this whole context of, of kind of stewardship and blessing as it pertains to, to so many different types of people. Yeah, yeah. I'm also reminded, too, Luke mm -hmm. is the one who gives us those words of Mary mm -hmm. uh, uh, about how the Lord will lift up the lowly and, and bring down the haughty. Right. And uh, Luke so often takes us, includes women in the narrative yes. in ways that other gospel writers don't. So he seems to have a heart for, right. for this. So, right. so as we explore these things together, one of the things we'd like to go after is the way that our, our reading and understanding of the Bible is shaped by our life experience and by our cultural background. For instance, a, a, a well-resourced person, a person in power, might read these verses differently than, uh, than a materially poor person or, uh, or an oppressed person. So I've been reading this fascinating book recently called Reading While Black, uh, written by a New Testament scholar from uh, Wheaton College named Esau Macaulay. And his premise is that the Bible offers truths and insights that are especially relevant to and informed by the black experience in America. Mm -hmm. That out of that, in that context, helps us to hear the Bible in ways we might have missed otherwise. Right. And that's a common perspective in the black church tradition, but not quite as familiar mm -hmm. in, the, in the more white tradition. Now, that same tradition, that same idea of, of reading while black could also apply to reading while anything. Mm -hmm. um, reading the scripture from an Asian American uh, background or reading from a woman's perspective or from any oppressed people group are going to read the scriptures slightly differently. So the idea is that we each bring our life experience, uh, our, our wounds, our biases, our aspirations, our dreams. We bring that to our reading and interpretation of the Bible. So Macaulay has an interesting line. He says, he encourages us to be willing to listen to and enter into dialogue with black and white critiques of the Bible in hopes of achieving a better reading of the text. Mm. That we actually help each other understand more mm -hmm. completely when we hear from people who are different from us. So, uh, so that's what we're trying to, mm -hmm. trying to, trying to do here. Um, so obviously, I, I can't speak for every white person in America. You right, can't speak right, for every black right. person in America. But we certainly represent different perspectives and backgrounds. So, uh, Jewel, why don't you get us started with some yeah. observations you have on this text? Yeah, I mean, even just to piggyback of what you just shared, I mean, I, no, no 
culture is quote unquote perfect, that we all bring our stuff to the table. And how much more rewarding can it be if we're willing to take the next step to actually learn from each other and learn through those, those experiences? And so when we think about this section of, of Luke, you know, we see Jesus talking about two really distinct types of, of people, right? Uh, he talks about uh, the poor, the hungry, the sad, uh, or the grieving, uh, the hated, or the marginalized. Uh, people who are often on the, the underside of society, the under-resourced, the undervalued or underrepresented, uh, the poor and the powerless. Um, you know, some scholars would describe these individuals as, as being the, the pious poor. And so, in other words, they're not in this condition because of them being, quote unquote, lazy or, or reckless or, or wicked, but it's, it's based upon how uh, the world or how the systems and the structures are set up in place so that people or people like them aren't able to have uh, the same access as others. And so as Jesus declares it in the kingdom, Jesus saying like, every, like they're included in his kingdom and his kingdom coming forth. And so uh, because of that, that they can experience joy and happiness and contentment and really feel as if uh, Jesus is honoring them, uh, not because of their condition, but because their affection is set on him. You know, because he starts off this text by saying that he's speaking to his disciples. You know, it's someone who has surrendered their hearts to him. And so, you know, what Jesus is not saying is that, uh, that all marginalized you know, communities are gonna and, uh, inherit the kingdom just because of their, their, their situation. But he's, but he's saying that there is a, a, a grace for those who, who are poor and who also experience the kingdom and who also are, are, are desirous of really following and, and living for Jesus. And I think, I mean, and that aspect is so beautiful about this text. Um, but then he also talks about the second group, right? Uh, he talks about uh, people who uh, he identifies as being uh, rich or, or well-fed, um, the, the highly regarded, those who may look at others and maybe look down or, or laugh at, at someone else's uh, context, uh, people who are considered to be the, 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 most well, the, the, the more well-educated of society, that they uh, are enjoying the good things of the world. Um, and, it, and the text doesn't explicitly say so, but we get a sense that these people are enjoying uh, their blessings for some, maybe at the expense of other people. And so um, in contrast to the pious poor, these would be considered to be the, the callous rich. And so in his kingdom, he says that these people will be the unfortunate ones who will, who will miss out. And you know, when I read this, you know, I think about um, you know, one of the things I love to do is I love to study cities and understand what happens in the ecosystem of different types of cities. And in a city like Boston, we know people come here from all over the world for education, and people are often driven by kind of wealth or prestige or attention or affection from others. When we read this text, like the, the callous rich, I, I'm able to see some of greater Boston in this as well, right? Because it's that sense of, of placing more value upon letters behind a name, degrees on the wall, articles that are published, uh, companies that are started, um, you know, positions within, within companies, you know, as opposed to saying, is my hope squarely in Christ? And I, am I, not that those things are bad, but am I allowing Christ to be the one 
to really guide and give wisdom and, and really kind of lead me so that I'm, I'm able to pursue those things out of a joy and an and a affection and really living for Christ. Okay, yeah, good, good. Yeah. Well, thanks for kind of laying out these mm -hmm. two groups of people here. Mm -hmm. um, part of Macaulay's premise is that we tend to read the Bible differently depending on our life experience. Right. So, so I grew up in predominantly, uh, predominantly white, middle, upper middle class uh, communities and churches. I was educated at white schools, white seminaries. And as I reflect on how I heard these passages taught and read, I, I've, I've noticed some kind of recurring tendencies as mm -hmm. to how we handle this scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, I felt as though we tended to spiritualize these passages. Mm. As in, Jesus isn't really talking about materially poor people. He's right. talking about spiritual poverty. Um, or uh, he's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about hunger for righteousness. He's not talking about grieving and earthly loss. He's talking about mourning over sin. He's uh, talking about being hated, not just for being human, but because of your faith. Mm. So we, we felt he was talking about spiritual things, and, and, and we missed the other side of it. Now, for sure, there's a spiritual dimension to all of this. I mean, Matthew draws that out. He says the poor in spirit mm -hmm. and hungering for righteousness. So for sure, there's a spiritual thing going on here that Jesus is after. But this is a different version of that sermon. Right. This right. is a sermon Jesus preached on another occasion, most likely, and Luke's recording of it. And this version is edgier, right? <laughs> right. It's got a little right. bite to it here. Right, exactly. Jesus doesn't spiritualize it here, and neither does Luke. He doesn't add poor in spirit. He mm -hmm. just says the poor. Luke seems to be saying about these kinds of people on the, as you said, the underside of society or the pious poor, mm -hmm. that they have a special place in God's heart, that there's room in the kingdom for them um, and the opportunity to be elevated to a place of honor. And, I, and in, in my middle class tradition, I just, we never really talked about the earthly implications of all this. And we did the same thing with the woes part mm -hmm. of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, what you call the callous rich. Right. Um, people with plenty of money and plenty of food, highly respected, happy. The problem is that those people sound a lot like us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were generally people who were well off, uh, well fed, well spoken of. But, but these are the bad guys, right? And, and so we... Jesus couldn't have meant people like us. Right. So, so we sort of spiritualized the whole thing. He must be talking about people who are spiritually proud, mm. people who are gluttons and eat too much, people who, who party too much and they laugh too much, or who are highly regarded by the world because of their wealth or a celebrity. So that's kind of how we handled these passages. We tended to spiritualize them. How about in your experience, or maybe mm -hmm. your experience with, with the black church? Uh, how, how, is yeah. these, how are these passages understood? Yeah, no, it's really interesting, uh, because for me, I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, my, my mother um, you know, grew up in a single-parent household. Uh, we didn't go to church. Even my, my grandparents didn't go to church. Um, but I, I grew up in one of the most impoverished big cities in America, and so poverty was, was very present in my city. Um, and for me personally, I didn't become a believer in Christ until going to college. And it was then that I really began to understand just the importance of, of you know, churches in the black community as it pertains to um, really preaching the gospel and really kind of staying true and centered on Jesus because so much of the preaching is, is Christ-centered and Christ-focused. But then out of that, kind of a real hunger to say, 
how can we care for the needs of others? Because, you know, the black church has always kind of been a very kind of stable um, and kind of healthy model for, for the community, uh, whether it be around uh, helping with education, helping with economic development, housing, uh, helping them to really think about kind of the role of government. And so there were all of these mechanisms that were naturally inherent within the black church that kind of helped congregates really understand kind of what, uh, of how to really view their faith in light of the circumstances that, that may have been surrounding them. And so, you know, what's, what's awesome is even when we read a text like this, um, one aspect that's really important uh, when it really comes to the black church is this idea of lament. And so, um, because lament is, is such a, a integral part of just really the sustainability you know, of the church and of really helping people to understand that yes, you know, there are things that we can mourn about and we can be grieved about and really have a sense of, of, of righteous anger, uh, but at the same time that we still have hope be, and hope in the power of Christ and, and his ability to sustain and to really give uh, really hope um, in situations that really, really seem hopeless. Mm -hmm. So, so as you're describing that, it, it seems to me, and I think I'm just coming to understand this, unfortunately, a yeah. little later in life, um, that in, in, in the black tradition and church tradition mm -hmm. and others, perhaps, these words are understood more literally mm -hmm. and more earthly. Yes, they, yes. There's less of the spiritualizing. Yes, yeah, real can, life examples. That's when you, right. When you've, when you've been hurt, when you've been called out of your name, when you've been uh, in situations where people look down on you because of just the color of your skin. Right. I mean, it is, it's a very demoralizing uh, place to be. And the scriptures really provide hope in light of that. Yeah, yeah. And yep. it struck me as well, just yeah. reading now in light mm -hmm. of our current context, Jesus really is talking here to, about, about people in power, mm -hmm. people who enjoy what we might call privilege. Right. Now, it's kind right. of a loaded term these days and often misunderstood. But however you describe that word, privileged or advantaged, Jesus is describing people who enjoy material abundance, right. uh, safety, mm. leisure, <laughs> approval from society. Right. So again, he was talking about people a lot like us. Mm -hmm. And I think in the, in the church, we, we sometimes forget that we probably, many of us, have more in common with the callous rich than with the biased poor mm. in terms of our life experience. And at the very least, we're more likely to drift in that direction if we're not careful. So Jesus is kind of reminding us of this and warning us that the system may be working well for you, but it's not working well for everyone and that we should pay attention because God's paying attention <laughs> to all yeah. these inequities. And it seems to me that's one of the things that people of color are asking these mm -hmm. days is simply that we would pay attention, mm -hmm. that we would recognize these inequities, that we would lament and mourn over them and, and be eager for something to be done. Right. Is that resonating? No, I mean, what, what you just shared is powerful. You know, to hear someone who has privilege um, and position and, and power communicate that, I mean, it, it encourages my heart. And it really takes a lot of courage for a person, you know, like yourself or white people to stand up against injustice when you see it. Um, you know, as an African-American, you know, as a dad, as a, as a father, you know, I, I recognize that in America, um, you know, unfortunately, my, my skin color uh, is a disadvantage in certain ways. And for centuries, you know, racism has been normalized in our society. 
And so, you know, for, for many years, um, you, white people could harm black people and there were no repercussions. And 2020 was kind of a, a stand to just say, like, this is not acceptable. And so when we look at, you know, kind of the history of kind of determinants like gentrification about where, you know, folks of color could live, you know, where folks could go to school and, and worship and play, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty checkered history. So really thinking about this, it's definitely more than a, an intellectual exercise. Uh, it's a recognition that confronting racism is actually an extension of the gospel. And so, you know, this is why, you know, it's, it's very callous to share Christ with someone and really not be concerned about their current conditions. You know, I remember, you know, years ago um, with people who would kind of share Christ and then, you know, kind of give them a track and then kind of, you know, just go on, you know, go on about their business. Um, we call, used to call it drive-by evangelism. And so it's not really caring about the person, but, but just so that they can kind of, kind of do their thing to make themselves feel better. And so, you know, what we, we see throughout scriptures is we do see God really confronting injustice and, and really saying, how can we care for, you know, our fellow men or, or women and children who may be in really deplorable situations? When we think about this, even with Joseph, you know, Joseph, you know, created a strategy and process to help uh, Egypt when they were in famine. You know, we think about this with Moses, him, him uh, appealing to, to Pharaoh to release his people from bondage. Um, you know, John 17, you know, Jesus prayed that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Uh, he didn't say, uh, you know, I'm praying that, that it's only for Jews or people who had kind of this religious thing, quote unquote, squared away. He said, no, I want my church to be unified of, of different cultures and backgrounds and as, as a way of bringing unity and, and communicating uh, unity to the rest of the world so that they may know that what I actually gave my, what I'm giving my life for is actually worth meaning. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that that kind of leads to uh, what you're mm -hmm. saying here, kind of reminds me of a second thing we tended to do in mm -hmm. the again, mm -hmm. predominantly white middle-class right. church with this passage. First, we spiritualized it, mm -hmm. but then we tended to individualize it. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we didn't hear Jesus talking about society, as mm -hmm. you were just describing. We thought he was just talking about, about us personally, about right. the change of our hearts. Right. Um, I remember preaching on this uh, handful, a dozen or so years ago, mm -hmm. and as I look back on preaching through the Beatitudes, it was very individualistically focused. Yeah. But Jesus isn't just calling for the transformation of hearts here. Mm -hmm. He's calling for the transformation of society. Yeah. And I think, I think in my tradition, uh, we often miss that. And my sense is that pastors and churches of color tend to be much more attuned to mm -hmm. and engaged with mm -hmm. these societal implications of the gospel. Uh, in fact, uh, Esau Macaulay at right. one point says this. He says, uh, the gospel of Luke contains a vision for the just society transformed by the advent of God that speaks to the heart of black Christians. Mm, mm -hmm. He's saying that Luke, Luke speaks about something yeah. that the people are longing for in the world today. So what's been your mm -hmm. experience with, you know, the church and social action and things mm -hmm. like that? Yes. I mean, great question. I mean, you know, pastors of color, especially, you know, African-American pastors, like we, we can't disconnect from the condition of, of our communities. And so um, we're, we're just not given that option. 
And so people are, are hurting in, in, in many different ways, in many different contexts. Um, and, you know, with, you know, my, our white brothers and sisters, to enter into those spaces, it's, it's an option. And so uh, preaching has to be um, matched with caring for people well, kind of caring for their needs, in addition to really helping them to understand uh, the importance of living out their faith in Christ. And so, you know, in many contexts, uh, you, 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 haven't, you have to win the right to be heard. You have to win the right to actually uh, be able to, um, to share Christ with them. And one way of doing that is by providing needs and helping people to understand uh, some of the complexities surrounding um, um, maybe the communities they're in, maybe uh, the conditions of the schools, the, the conditions of, of government and things of that nature, so that they're able to uh, really see Jesus kind of work in those different arenas. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, an inherent motivation, you know, especially, you know, of, you know, for pastors of color, because we recognize that our, our primary motivation is to pursue Jesus, is to pursue Christ. And, and out of that pursuing of Christ, you know, you know as, as Esau talks about kind of this, this idea of a vision of a just society, you know, when, at the end of the day, you know, as, as pastors, you know, and as a community, um, you know, we're seeking equality. You know, we kind of have to, have to have equal access, you know, for, for everyone. And, you know, we recognize with the systems and structures that are in place, like they don't really change until, you know, white people get upset. Right. And I know that's, that, that may be a bomb, <laughs> no, right? No, that's right. That's but, right. But, you know, we can protest and, you know, get upset and get angry. But at the same time, those same structures don't change until white people say, you know what? You're right. You know, this, this stinks. Let's go ahead and change it. And that's, and that's when many of these systems change. Interesting. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, it yeah. reminds me of some of the conversations I've had mm -hmm. with Pastor Bruce, uh, mm -hmm. Bruce Wall over at Global Ministries in mm -hmm. Dorchester. <clears throat> He's explained to me that his congregation expects and almost demand that he be yeah. involved politically. Right. They want him to talk to the mayor and mm -hmm. to know the mayor personally. They want him involved mm -hmm. in issues relating to the community. Right. So, and and sometimes my experience in the the suburban church tends mm -hmm. to be, we'd rather have our pastors apolitical, you know, right. don't get dragged into that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's some privilege that allows us to do that. It's mm -hmm. kind, of, kind of what you're saying here. All right, so we've kind of wrestled with the text a little bit and shared some observations, but let's, let's shift now a little bit to yeah. kind of application. Right. You know, what, what can we take away from this conversation in terms of action steps, both as individual Christians as the body of Christ? So a couple things come to my mind. Uh, if I'm only reading while white or male or American, I'm only getting one perspective on the scriptures. I'm only hearing it through my experience. I remember years ago at Grace, I was uh, speaking on uh, one of the miracle stories of Jesus healing one of the men we meet in the Gospels who was unable to walk. And I spoke at length and with some detail about how, uh, how limited and unhappy this man's experience was. Well, the next day I got a phone call from a woman in our congregation who spent her whole life in a wheelchair, who has graduated from college, uh, had a career, raised a family, and had a remarkable life. And she pretty much let me have it for trying to speak for people whose life experience I can't fully understand and, frankly, haven't taken the time to listen to and even to understand their life experience. So 
since that conversation, I have never read and preached the healing stories of Jesus in quite the same way. We need to be in relationship with and conversation with people who are different from us, who've had different life experiences, so they can help us have a more complete understanding of the scriptures. You're helping me see things I had not seen before. And I'll say this as well. When I was pastoring, I was lead pastoring, I remember you came to our church one Sunday and just sat in the congregation unannounced, just, hey, I'm just here just to just to enjoy the service. And Which I did. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and, and I didn't know you were coming. Yeah. And it was such an encouragement to me that you came and, and visited us just, just to say, you know, I, I love you and I appreciate you. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's such a, right. it so enriches yeah. our understanding of the body of Christ and mm-hmm. our work in the world. So we really do need each other. So that's, the, that's, that's why I'm so grateful for kind of the, mm-hmm. the culture we have here at Grace, for the multicultural community that we enjoy as a right. congregation, because we need to be in conversation with, with each other uh, to understand the scriptures. And I'm grateful for, uh, for people of color and mm-hmm. people of other backgrounds who have hung in here at Grace with us over yeah. many years, mm-hmm. in spite of what was probably sometimes yeah. uh, one-sided and maybe myopic understanding of mm-hmm. the gospel and the scripture and the kingdom. So, and why, why I'm grateful for our friendship yeah. to Jua over mm-hmm. the years and your willingness to jump into a conversation like this yet again. <laughs> I'm sure right. you've had a lot of them. Uh, what are you seeing here in terms of application? Yes, um, I see something pretty significant here actually. Um, it's, it's the idea of understanding what it means to be a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper. Western Christianity, it really focuses on this whole idea of being uh, peacekeepers. And so uh, this idea of, of kind of a lack of conflict, a lack of tension, um, you know, this idea of, um, you know, a peace, peace, peacekeeper often wants to, to keep things kind of the same and, and not invite kind of other voices into spaces. It's a desire for a lack of, of sincerity because it feels too hard or too risky. Uh, it's a pursuit of uh, a false sense of unity because it says, you know, let's put everyone in the same room, wow, wow. but let's not actually listen to everyone <laughs> who's here, right? Instead of understanding the um, emotion and sentiment behind a protest, it is um, being quick to condemn it without having any informed context or having any informed people actually educate them on why people are protesting in the first place. Uh, it's afraid, being afraid to, to name injustice um, or domestic terrorism or, or white supremacy or uh, police brutality or unfair policing or, or even um, unequal sentencing. Um, a peacemaker is different from that. A peacemaker is someone who calls out systems of oppression because that takes courage, uh, who walks towards something uh, where they're trying to imagine something new. Uh, they're not afraid of, of something unseen. They're more than a, a Twitter rant or a Facebook post uh, or a book club or a panel on racism or a diversified bookshelf or, you know, a quote on Martin Luther King Day. Ouch, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) A peacemaker is someone who recognizes uh, that even though, you know, they may have read the Jamar Tisby or Esau McCauley or uh, Latasha Morrison, that, that there may still be racism in their heart that needs to be rooted out or prejudice in their hearts that need to be rooted out. Uh, A peacemaker is someone who really is just willing to listen um, and willing to 
to sometimes be misunderstood as a way of pursuing something better. Um, that they're willing to uh, listen to people of color, uh, that they're willing to, to risk something and to really just pick a side uh, for, the sake, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of, of honoring Jesus um, and, and, and just refusing to, um, to, to gaslight, uh, to intimidate, to silence, uh, or to justify any type of oppression of other people. And so a peacemaker is willing to, last thing I'll say, I know because this is kind of heavy, but, but just willing to repent of any contribution they've made to, um, to any unjust system that they may be a part of. Thanks, Jula, yeah. for, for saying those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I jokingly said, ouch, because <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I find myself right. in some of those, some of those things. Mm. But we need to hear them. And mm -hmm. it, it occurs to me that some of the people listening to Jesus that day mm -hmm. said, ouch, yeah. or worse. Right. Right. They, some of them walked away angry because right. right. Jesus was confronting them. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's what happens with the gospel. I guess a second takeaway for me as I'm kind of applying this here has to do with us as a church recognizing the societal implications of the gospel and the church's mission. Uh, the gospel isn't just good news for individuals who get to go to heaven someday. It's good news for society and for all people in beginning to experience the goodness of God's kingdom in this life and hopefully in the life to come. So I try to understand what that means for me as a pastor, frankly. Uh, as a pastor, I'm called to lead and invite people to, to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and, and I need to lean into that. But I'm also hearing I have to be calling the church to pay attention to what's happening in the world and to be engaged with what's happening in society. And I have found, as I've mentioned, I've talked about race and politics more often the past few years than I have in a long time. And at times I've been really grateful for that because it's helped me understand things I'd missed before and I feel like I'm growing in my understanding of the gospel and as a church we're growing. At the same time, it's uncomfortable and it puts a strain on, on our relationships in the body of Christ, different political perspectives and cultural backgrounds and we feel that strain sometimes. But I feel like it's a tension, as you said, that we need to embrace and lean into. Jesus highlights it right here in these two words with blessings and woes. So clearly this is something Jesus wants us to be talking about. He wants us to be doing something about that. So, so we've committed here at Grace to, to keep this conversation going, uh, even when we disagree sometimes, and to find ways to mobilize ourselves as the Lord leads us to get involved in, the, in these things. And uh, we, we've actually recently just asked Pastor Jeanette to kind of lead our efforts in uh, multiculturalism and social and racial justice, that sort of thing. Well, we need to finish up. It's a great conversation. But as we do, um, Jua, what, what reasons do you have, do we have, for being hopeful today? I mean, it's been a pretty rough year. Um, I was intrigued by the subtitle to Esau Macaulay's book, it's uh, Reading While Black, An Exercise in Hope. I mean, that's his word. So he really believes and makes the argument that when the white and black church understands the gospel, the scriptures rightly, that it's going to be good. It's going to lead us to better places. It's a reason to be hopeful. How do you stay hopeful these yeah. days as yeah. we look at society? No, you're right. I mean, this last year has, has been really, really tough. And... Um, you know, 
a couple of weeks ago, I'll share a story with you. You know, on, on January 6th, um, with the um, domestic terrorists breaking into the uh, Capitol building, um, you know, obviously, you know, like many Americans, you know, was angry and kind of hurt. Um, kind of had to deal with some of my own stuff, you know, pertaining to that, you know, even, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, that, that people could willfully break into the, the Capitol building. And for many, it seems to be uh, that there was, there was no consequence to that. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with my 14-year-old my daughter, and I literally broke down in tears. And the reason I broke down in tears is because as a, as a dad, I recognize that I can't protect my children from all injustice. I can't protect my kids from all of the hardships that they're gonna face in this life. The, the times that they may be uh, presumed to be something that they're not, and, and whatever that presumption is, is negative. That they're, they may be presumed to be less than because of the color of their skin. And so I just shared with her just the, the hope that I have in Christ and the hope that I have uh, for him to be the one to, to guide and to direct um, her and our other kids uh, in a direction of saying, Lord, take them to places that I can't go, you know, to, to really cover them in, in, in his grace. And so, you know, I'd say my, my, my hope, first of all, is, is built in Christ to do far greater than what I'm able to see in, 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 in my context, in my perspective, uh, in my reading while black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I recognize that conversations like these help us move towards really having a more loving and Christ honoring and intentional uh, place of healing uh, within the body of Christ. Um, and then secondly, just the hope in young people, um, young people who are growing up like my kids and others who are, are growing up with a different um, perspective and different identity of the world and who see um, kind of people of all different backgrounds and ethnicities actually doing life together and, and benefiting each other. Um, you know, kind of the, the Gen Z's and the, um, you know, kind of the, the younger generation who are, who are growing up with a whole different perspective of society and who are really hopeful about creating something new uh, because they're inviting and celebrating the richness that, that each uh, group actually brings to the table. It's interesting you bring, yeah. you bring that up, Sheila, yeah. because I, in terms of younger generations, mm -hmm. I'm finding a similar thing, yeah. uh, both in the congregation, even among our staff. Yeah. I am sensing a, a resolve to tackle these issues head on mm -hmm. and continue to get us to better places, build on what's been accomplished, but to recognize how far we have to go. And so I, I'm hopeful that younger generations can continue to lead the way for us here. I'm also hopeful I mean, as painful, as traumatic, as awful as this year has been, and even tragic at points, people are paying attention, I think, like never before. People are recognizing where this kind of thinking leads, this kind of polarization, this kind of, vict of villainization and judgment of each other. This is where it leads mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the kinds of things we've seen this past year. And 
hopefully our hearts are ready for something better than that. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, but, but along with you, my, my ultimate hope is in the fact that this is not your and my agenda. Yeah. This, is, this is not just a human agenda. Yeah. This is God's agenda. This is the mission of Jesus. He tells us right here, this was his mission. So we get to join him in that work mm -hmm. in both the responsibility and the joy of advancing his kingdom in this world. But we also have the hope of looking forward to a day yeah. when Jesus himself right. will come back Man. and yeah. finish this work he started and once and for all level the playing field and lift up the lowly and humble the haughty and, and right. usher in a kingdom of of love and justice mm -hmm. and peace. There you go. You're and, preaching now, man. Man, I'm preaching now. I better, I better quit right there. I mean, that's infinite hope. That is that the is definition infinite right. of infinite hope. Well, thanks again, Jua, for joining us today, for your continued friendship and partnership in the work of the kingdom. Uh, let, let's let's keep going together. And uh, thanks to all of you. Grace Chapel community, those of you who are joining us, thanks for being open to conversations like this. Thanks for being thoughtful and engaged uh, and keeping this conversation and this work alive. Thanks for helping to build a, a diverse community of people who are seeking and following Jesus, wanting to discover life with God for the good of the world. May it be so, Lord. May it be so.